accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints, just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the fifth season premiere. It's called Apocalypse Rising, dramatically titled. It first aired on September 30th, 1996. It is the first episode of the fifth season, being a premiere. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, directed by James L. Conway. In this episode... Cisco leads a, leads a commando team into Klingon headquarters in an attempt to expose the changeling impersonating Gowron. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I feel like um, I feel like Odo is really becoming my uh, my spirit guide for this series because he's. <laughs> I really I, I could really identify with him in this episode, being like, "Well, <sighs> here we go." I may as well have a couple beers before we do this. <laughs> Back at it again. Season five. A little bit of light alcoholism uh, sprinkled into the mix. Although I do really, that scene might be my favorite scene in the episode, uh, that thing. I like the way it's framed. I like the way that he's dramatically turning the glass and the lights and it's glistening off of it. And he's talking about the bubbles. Um, the writers have a big thing for bubbles here. They talked about root beer bubbles before, but Odo wants to talk about listening to bubbles. So we're going to take a break. going to play an audio clip. We, uh, me and Clay are going to come back. We're going to break down Apocalypse Rising. What's going on, Ducat? We're being hailed by another bird of prey. What are you doing about it? We're hailing them back. I wouldn't worry. This happens all the time. Sir, they're requesting visual contact. By all means. It's a shame you can't see the hollow image I'm projecting over the comm system. I made quite an imposing Klingon. Sir, the hollow filter's not working. What do you mean it's not working? Let me take a look at it. Sir, they're repeating the request. The optronic relays are fused. Maybe Worf should speak to them. I might be able to convince them. I have a better idea. You should have let me speak to them. Was that really necessary? It was either that or trust in Mr. Worf's ability to lie. And frankly, I have more faith in my weapons. Get us out of here, Damar. I want to put as much distance between us and that wreckage as possible. Okay, Clay. So we're back with another season. Season five kicks off mm -hmm. with this episode, which um, reestablishes the Klingons in a way. It builds off of what we learned in Broken Link, which was the finale for the previous season. It uh, sort of reinserts the Klingons in a bigger way where they were backgrounded previously. Season five, the first episode at least, brings them to the forefront because of we have a whole Klingon episode. And the other tidbit is this is definitely the uh, the episode that Avery Brooks submitted for his Emmy nomination, saying I, I killed it. I killed it this episode. Uh, it's another Avery Brooks special. But what did you think? Yeah, of I mean, he does a pretty good job of acting through the through those teeth for the most most part. They they have a couple of meta jokes about the teeth too. O'Brien has a line about it's they hard do. to be funny yeah. while wearing these teeth. This is um. Uh, I'll, I'll just say this is an incredibly meta episode, which kind of ties into my whole uh, opinion of it. But what did you think about this one? Um, I thought it was pretty good. I feel like it suffered from the same thing as the season finale did, which was I feel like it was a lot of uh, killing time till they get to the fireworks factory. Um, once they get over to the uh, 
Brotherhood of the Batleth or whatever it is, uh, ceremony, then it starts to pick up because then you actually get to, you know, employ which your your tension devices and and whether or not they're going to get exposed or any of that stuff. And then you get the fight at the end and the little, you know, switcheroo as to who is the changeling and all that kind of stuff. That, that, that stuff was good. I, I really enjoyed that stuff. But it, it was another one where, like, all the way up to that point, I just felt like I kept checking my watch a lot. Um, and that's not to say it's bad, but it's just, I don't know. I, uh, let's put it this way. The the scene where um, Kira and Bashir have a very meta conversation about the fact Pre- that she's pregnancy. pregnant, yeah, yep. which is totally just there for the, for the sake of making the joke. Uh, and then at the end of the scene, they're like, but seriously, I really hope that they can succeed. And she's like, yeah, me too. And like, that's just the end of the scene. Yeah. So it's like, well, eh, we figured out a way to make this not entirely out of left field, but it just felt like a lot of that. Like, I, I guess it's some reestablishing of stuff if you want to go that way. But like, you know, it's a it's again, it's on a ship Well, for the most of most of the time going from point A to point B. Uh, we get a scene with. Jake, where he's just talking about people walking around the station. Being a writer, observing. Is, he's a little drunk, yeah. he seems. He's got that little two-beer depression going on as he's sitting on the uh, the subway <laughs> watching the, the world go by. But yeah, I you know, I, I thought it was I thought it was okay. I didn't love it, but I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I think it's um <clears throat> it's it's an episode that I think is fine. Um <clears throat> I think it is it's compared to Way of the Warrior, which was the season four premiere, which was a feature length like blockbuster of an episode. Mm-hmm. This feels more like a normal episode that just happens to be the season premiere of the of yeah. the season. I would agree. And I think that it's um I think it runs into a couple things. One is it's very funny when you go back and watch we've talked about this before, when you go back and you watch these older shows, how much of even though the show has only been off the air for two months, they have to remind the audience of everything that has happened up to this point. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of exposition breakdown in this episode. Dude, like, I watched, we just finished season four and I, w- I was very thankful for all of that stuff. And I was like, oh, right. That's okay. I remember where we are now. All right. Oh, right. Odo lost his form. Like Quark has the the thing where he t- explains like Odo has lost his form. You hear about the pregnancy, you know, all this stuff. Ducat is introduced again. So it's a lot of, um, a lot of it is the, these scenes that you described as sort of like not really fitting anything, but they all are basically functioning as exposition, exposition, I think. And Mm -hmm. so because they're not really moving the plot forward, they're just explaining where you stand. It feels very slow to that point. And I almost feel like, I think it was a mistake to put the Klingon infiltration into this episode. I feel like you should have, if you wanted to do a low stakes, let's reestablish where everything is. You could just do something on the station that doesn't have such Mm -hmm. um, stakes to it. Like, you could introduce this Klingon stuff, but not have them actually go on the mission until later. And I think that would have been better servicing it, because what happens here is that it kind of feels like a... It kind of feels like a little bit of a tease or like a like a blue ball experience or something because they build this up in the series the season finale last in Broken Link and you're like all right something's going to happen with the Klingons. They have this whole episode that goes by and then it kind of ends and even though the Klingons are now on good terms they're like well we still have to pretend that we're not on good terms because the Klingon Empire doesn't just give up a fight like this. So we kind of have to go through this whole song and dance about still being in conflict with each other. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like it kind of ends up getting you nowhere, and you, you 
you walk away from it feeling a little bit underwhelmed that all the stuff that they were leading up to with like a season cliffhanging ending resolves in this manner. Feels like a bit of a letdown. Yeah, I I was really surprised that they resolved this thing so quickly. Um, I assumed that this was going to be a longer running plot thread. Um, this is a behi- this is a behind the scenes thing. Um, mm-hmm. We had mentioned before. Season four was when they got executive notes that they want Worf on the show. They want Klingons because the ratings aren't doing well. So do stuff that Star Trek fans like. Mm-hmm. The The original idea was always to do a Dominion uh, threat and build towards that. So season four was a little bit of a sidestep where they brought in this Klingon thing. And season four is the writer's room really trying to get back to the Dominion as the main problem going forward. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think they were happy to get season rid of... Season five, you mean? Yeah, season five. So they were, yeah. they were happy to get rid of the Klingon arc, and I think they just did it. I think they wiped their hands of it a little bit too clean. It's still going to be a problem going forward, but just the the way that this all sort of resolves itself feels very simple for what has apparently been a pretty devastating war between the two of them. So, yeah, is, is this now more or less the resolution of the actual war? No, not really. <clears throat> Okay, because I was going to say, if if they hand-waved that entire season-long war plot with just being like, you know what, maybe we could work together here. (laughs) I I have a problem with that. Yeah. But, I mean, I understand. I guess I understand why they wanted to move past the the Changeling infiltration thing, but I I found that plot thread... pretty interesting so i'm kind of i'm kind of disappointed that it wasn't it wasn't a a longer a longer thing yeah yeah would you um uh what'd you think of the gowron martok switch did that mean anything to you or was it just kind of a twist at the end for a twist sake um yeah i i didn't really think much about it other than that i thought it was a nice twist just because it's uh um you know, I think just having it straight up. Be, I think you have two options. Uh, you well, yeah. I guess you have two options there, which is either it's just Gowron is the changeling, and they take that to its natural conclusion, or you throw some wrench in there and just you know have a have him be a red herring for somebody else. So I think this that that is probably the more interesting way to do it. And I also like the way I like the way that they exposed it too. Um, I, uh, I like that Odo got a chance to, to 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 be part of the story and be helpful other than just being drunk and kind of dropping stuff. Yeah, and just being, well, he um, mentions at one point he feels he's just tagging along in the mission for no particular reason. He's not useful yeah. in any way. Yeah. I will say, however, that, well, I guess I guess not. Maybe I was going to say that realistically it's probably Worf that figures that out. But uh, as as we've learned, Worf is, is only a... Uh, it only only knows Klingon culture to a certain point, so he might be more interested in the fighting part well, I than feel he, uh, using his brain to figure out that this guy is saying stuff that Klingons don't usually say. I, I feel he's a little bit distracted by telling everybody how much he knows about Klingon culture in this one, so exactly, he's very happy yeah. to be sort of telling everybody about how the whole thing goes. Although, um, one thing it did show me, and it, it might be part of the way that they've been told to be acting this, is that... Uh, Michael Dorn has gotten pretty good at playing a Klingon who doesn't sound like he has a speech impediment. You know, like, he, yeah, he I, talks I don't pretty know well. if I don't know if they they just don't give him the teeth or something. But I, I was because once they started uh, on the ship when everybody else was Klingons, um, 
you could hear a little bit of struggle in Avery Brooks, but I feel I feel like he did pretty well. Um, the other two did pretty well. I don't know if they gave them teeth actually, because they both talk pretty pretty normally. I thought um, O'Brien. And, I thought O'Brien felt a little bit wonky to me. He okay, felt yeah. he, O'Brien felt like he was struggling to. Um, I don't know if it was like an actor choice, but it felt like he was having a hard time really being a Klingon in in the moments. And it might just be O'Brien having trouble like in the show doing it, but it yeah. it felt to me like it was a tough uh, act for uh, Cole Meany. Yeah, which I mean, if that's a if that's a choice, I like that even more because you know it's got to do something interesting. Not everybody. It, it's it, it's it would be nice to know that. He was like, yeah, I just figured O'Brien wouldn't be very good at it, so I kind of tried to not be good at it. <laughs> right. um, because there's, there's but no... yeah, I was well, just going to say, yeah, Dorn, Dorn is, uh, he, I don't know if he's just gotten used to the teeth or if they've given him less teeth. Uh, I think him, he might not have... I don't have, mean fewer teeth, I mean like less teeth. I was looking at, he might not have bottom teeth. I think he has top ones only. I was trying, yeah. to, I was trying to see, he does definitely have like top uh, prosthetic, but I don't know if he has anything on the bottom and maybe that's all the help that he needs. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I think he's you know he's consistent as always. The uh, and just for your information, in in Memory Alpha, which is like the Wikipedia for this stuff, the, this is six of eight of the Klingon War arc. So the Klingon War arc is not completely okay. over, but it's getting close to the end. Um, yeah, I think that it's a you know it's um, it's an episode that really doesn't really have a lot to really push itself into your memory in any ways. It feels it feels fairly simple. It doesn't feel like it really focuses on a lot of... Uh, it, it's weird. It focuses on a little character beats, but it doesn't really focus on a character arc. Like, I would, I would think that Odo's would ha- be the most um, narrative of an arc here where he starts off drunk and unsure that he can do anything with his new form and he's unsure that, like, if he's any good at his job or anything. And then by the end, he kind of resolves it. Although... I don't think he did anything that really because the ending line is he has a line about like I'll go back to my old face, Doctor. Like he he sort of accepts yeah. what he was, but I don't think he really earned that. I don't nope. think Odo did anything here that would really redeem himself in his eyes, even though they play it that way. No, I I agree. I I felt like that was really uh, an unearned uh, tie up at the end because um, yeah he do- he doesn't have like a moment of clarity or or anything like that. He just. He, he 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 does he figures it out but it's it, it's not like a character moment for him it's just like yeah you know i figured it out martok and basically the, yeah. told told him you know he isolates odo yeah. with him because he the two changelings want to deal with each other and then yeah he has he loses the fight against martok and the klingons kill the changeling and um, yeah that's it in a spectacular fashion they, I do. <laughs> they do they do um yeah but i, I don't think that and it's not uh, the end of that arc for it. I, I just felt like the final line, I feel you could have rewritten that last scene where to make it a little bit more dramatic, it ends with like Bashir saying like, what face do you want? And then Odo sort of thinking, and then we fade to black about it. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the urn of him saying like, no, give me back my uh, melty wax changeling face. Wasn't really, it wasn't really something that the episode was supporting. It didn't feel like Odo's character ever got to that point. It should have ended with him drinking again, frankly. Yeah, it probably should have. It probably should have ended with him back at the bar. Um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, uh, or ended with him saying like, "Make me look like uh, Ch- Ch- was it Vedic Chakar, whatever, whatever Kira's boyfriend." Oh, Chakar, yeah, yeah, Vedic Chakar, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's not really. I mean, like that's very much a, a character resolution beat, and this is not that kind of story. Um. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, if they had more stuff in here about him being like when he's even when they turn him into a, a Klingon, he doesn't even really talk about at all being frustrated with the fact that they had to apparently go through surgery to do it. Yeah, right. Uh, like he doesn't discuss how it used to be so easy for him and everything is so difficult now. Yeah, yeah, and you know, or anything about identity based on what you look like, or blah 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 blah, that kind of shit. Yeah, um, we do need to talk about at some point how, once again, I think this is starting to prove that the people who wrote Discovery were watching like the worst episodes of DS Nine, or at least <laughs> taking the wrong lessons from it. <laughs> sure, because uh, uh, w- w- when they first showed up as Klingons here, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, makeup or whatever. And then, <laughs> then it's very clear that Bashir did some sort of surgical thing yep. to make them all look like, actually turn them into Klingons. And I was like, ah, I think somebody wrote this in their notes uh, when they were trying to block out what to do for Discovery. And uh, the reason, uh, this is going to sound weird, but the reason why it works in this and the reason why it doesn't work in Discovery, where they are both equally ridiculous plot devices is that in this one, they just hand wave it. Yeah. If they don't spend fucking 12 episodes making this a big deal and making you actually think about what all this means and, like, all of the consequences of what it would take to do this, yeah, um, they just kind of like, yeah, you know, we turn them in. Like, it's basically Team America, where it's they, they spend 20 minutes and they put a couple, they surgically graft some uh, brown paint and eyebrows onto them. <laughs> Yeah, um, there's no, there's, and I mean, the Klingons are getting up and close and personal with them. You know, there's no yeah. moment of like you are looking at an alien wearing a mask sort of thing. Like it's that's not the tone of this Star Trek series or anything. But that's um, I feel like Discovery would have suffered more from that because the Klingons in Discovery are much different from humans. Like they they act and talk differently. So yeah, go ahead. I'm I'm a little surprised that they went surgical and didn't do something like some sort of hologram thing like, like uh, Ducat's hologram emitter where he looks like a Klingon when he's talking to other people. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, uh, give him some sort of like necklace they wear where the it's, it, it projects a Klingon face or something. Some shit like, you know, it, it, there's, there's a much more sci-fi way to do that instead thought, of just being like, we put them through 12 hours of plastic surgery. I thought that's <laughs> what the, uh, I hadn't seen the episode in a while. I thought that's what the pokeballs, the gold pokeballs they give them at the start oh, were yeah, supposed yeah. to do. I thought that those were yeah. like hologram emitters that would turn them into Klingons. Cause I knew that that's what they did, but I forget that those things are basically just the, um, those are just the MacGuffin of the story to yeah. sort of give you a reason to go because they never even use it. Yeah, yeah, they really they don't use it at all, do they? No, nope, never happens. I don't. I, I don't feel think like, they activate it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Cisco. There's no reason Cisco couldn't have activated that thing before he went up to get that award. He had well, the thing in his hand. Like they, what, they, they also say he doesn't have to on, be. There's nothing stopping him, right? No, early on they also when they're doing the briefing meeting at the start, Dax says something like the effect will go up to good is up to good for like ten thousand square feet or something. So it's like, yeah. isn't that cover the entire? base that they're in i feel that's a very large area so why why do they have to be so close to them that was my other question about it yeah yeah i I don't know i mean they probably could have they probably could have put more parameters on that thing um than they did yeah to make it a little bit more but i I think it works fine you know it 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 creates it's fine because it doesn't work appropriate amount of tension yeah yeah and it, it creates the pre appropriate amount of tension that you need and uh yeah i think it's fine for what it is so this was your first uh, first big look at the Klingons in a while. We get a lot of Klingon stuff in this. And the first thing I'll say is that if uh, they ever were to remaster this in high definition, this is probably one of the biggest improvements in episodes, I would assume, because oh, this God. is it's just a muddy red mess when you're oh, watching this in terrible. standard definition. 
And the remaster would certainly save it a lot. But outside of that, what do you think about seeing the Klingons again? Gowron is back. Um, Gowron, I would describe as Robert O'Reilly. I think that's the actor's name. Um, he's another 5%er. 5% or too campy, and that really elevates his material. I love his performance yes. as Gowron, but what would you think? He's also a 5%er in that his eyes are 5% too big for his head. Yeah, his eyes light him 5% too much light, I think, and give him brain cancer at this, at this point. But <laughs> he has some very wide eyes. I just, I love the way he talks. He talks like I think a Klingon leader should talk. He's very good at that. Yeah, he's he's campy, but he's not um, disbelievably campy. Uh, he's... He's fairly threatening. Like, he's kind of yeah. intense. Like, he's, he's not a goofy cornball. He is actually kind of an intimidating Klingon if you were to run into him. Yeah, he seems like he, you know, the first time they put him in the makeup, he took like 15 minutes to figure out how this character should look and sound and how to be imposing, but also work through the, ma- you know, things actors are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he's great. He is kind of, he, he does, he's the weirdest looking Klingon. Like his head <laughs> is like an inverted triangle <laughs> yep. and his eyes are so big. It's just, he's such a weird looking guy. I mean, I'm sure he's pro- perfectly normal in real life, but with all that makeup on, he's pretty weird looking. Yeah. I don't know if he's, I was, I mean, not to go off track, maybe we could ask cover this at the end but i was going to ask you who you thought made the worst looking klingon of the guys on deep space nine o'brien yes by by a mile (laughs) (laughs) o'brien looks sort of um i don't know how to describe him he looks a little like he looks like fat and sort of weird looking like he, he looks like sort of a cartoon version of a klingon yes yeah yeah and they they the features that they accentuate the makeup accentuates on his face are not super flattering. I think yes. because his face is kind all all due respect to to Cole Meany, but he's got a very uh let's just say he's got a very Irish face. Yeah, very cherub uh cherub cheeked, red cheeked, sort of uh puffy cheeked approach to him. I think that I would, you know, 100, I would like 100, a potato. I would 100% would agree with that. I'd also have to say that um it's weird seeing Rene Aubergenois in Klingon makeup because it actually looks more like his face than the Odo it does. makeup does. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> yeah, so it's very interesting. Yeah, um, but yeah, Gowron, Gow, you know, he, I, honestly, he pops up so infrequently that I don't really have much of a connection to him. I mean, I, I remember him when he does pop up, but I don't. Uh, er, I, I'm not like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He is, I don't usually remember who he is or what he does. Let's put it that way. Sure. Like, I remember Do you remember why, why does Worf not like him in this episode? No idea. Okay. Is it is something to do with his family, I assume? Gowron is the reason that Worf got evicted. His family lost their lands and yeah. he got okay. evicted. Yep. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't remember his his place in the story that that well like even honestly even even in the last episode when he showed up on the screen and he's talking all this stuff i'm like oh yeah it's that guy yep yeah what does he do here and then they're like oh he's the leader of blah blah, blah. Like, oh okay right yeah it never Good. gets thank too you specific for, thank so you for informing me galron is always the reason that wharf is in a hard spot basically um yeah, yeah. that's the the only thing to remember about their relationship but he's he's also um, I think Gowron is actually fairly well written because he is a Klingon, but he's also clearly, I think they referred to him as a politician this episode. He's also very political. He's sort of um, yep. scheming in a way that a lot of the Klingons aren't. And so you can see how he rose to this rank and this position. He's not unintelligent either. He he clearly thinks about what the outcome of things are going to be. And even though he's sort of um, 
shades everything with his Klingon honor and Klingon perspective, he is still, he's not a, he's not a character that the Federation can't work with. You know, he, he's the best kind of Klingon leader for the Federation, I think, to have installed because he's, he's relatively reasonable and he is not a loose cannon. Yeah. Do you feel, um, <clears throat> I'm only just thinking about this now, so I don't know if I have an opinion about it yet. Do you feel like it's at all kind of a cheat or um, unsatisfying or maybe, I don't know if unbelievable is the word, um, that in making that switch as to who is the changeling, part of that is them going like, oh, Martok is the guy who suggested that we you know bl- blow that place up or whatever. Um, basically taking the stuff that Gowron, the decisions he made, and putting them onto Martok. Is that his name Martok? Yeah, Martok, yeah. You know what, you know what I mean, though? Like To save Gowron's th- character, you mean? Yeah, do you think it's disingenuous to have those decisions be something that he was, you know, talked into by somebody else versus something he did on his own? I think it fits the character. I think if he was more of a loose cannon, I think that would be unbelievable for Gowron to do. Yeah. But I think Gowron is the kind of leader who would listen to his sort of generals that are leading the charge there. Like the Martok was in the way of the warrior thing when the the Klingons were attacking the station. And Martok was the one who was saying, like, we need... That was a changeling at that point, too. So the the Martok we met before in Way of the Warrior was a changeling that was trying to influence Gowron, which is now being oh, sort of okay. retconned into this. So, but Gowron also shot him down at the same point in that episode and listened to him. So they did have a sort of like a reasonable relationship with each other, where it would be understandable to me that Gowron would listen to him as he did here. I think that the okay. the switch is more. I feel I feel the switch is more that you Gowron is a more important character. To the series and the franchise so that it's harder to make him the changeling uh yeah, because yeah. then you have to deal with the ramifications of not having gowron around anymore M- martok is more um uh sort of malleable with what you want to do with him yeah 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 no that makes sense uh let's see here so uh i just wanted to the only other thing that I really had to say about this was a lot of the little character scenes that I kind of liked, but they did feel like they sort of slowed the pace down of the episode. There's the Odo drinking Bashir and Kira, which you mentioned, which is the meta commentary on the pregnancy, Jacob mm-hmm. Bashir, and then uh, Dukat and Kira have a nice little scene. I actually liked theirs like because that. at least that had something to do with it, but um, were any of those scenes your favorite? Um, I liked the Kira, Kira and Dukat scene, I think was probably my favorite. Well, I mean, the one, I, I think as far as of those scenes, which ones are the most important and shouldn't have been cut, I would say it's the Odo one. I think the Odo one is probably the best scene. Yeah. Um, but I, I did like I did like the bit with uh, with Kira and Dukat. I thought that was some nice, quick, you know, walking from A to B. Exposition. dialogue, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was, that was, the, the Jake stuff felt to me like it's just like we need a scene with exposition. At least Dukat, there's a reason for you to explain to the audience why he's returned and where he's been with it yeah mm-hmm. like the, so that makes sense because they needed his ship to do something but the bashir and kira talking about the pregnancy and the jake and bashir talking about war stuff is just like this is completely pointless <laughs> why, why any of this is in and that's the more surprising thing about the overall plot is that there somehow wasn't enough meat on the inf- infiltrate the klingon headquarters and try to find the changeling bone like i feel like that's a story that you could really dig into for some reason they can't really do anything with it. it's just hanging out at a party waiting for Gowron to show up and then the changeling exposes himself for no particular reason. Not a very good changeling either at this point. 
don't they also do that in discovery where the the, se- the season finale involves them like hanging out at a casino for like half the yeah, episode that's, that's true yeah they go to the, they go to chronos and hang out at the bar with uh with all the the green-skinned aliens yep. yeah yeah um yeah i just forgot what i was gonna say what were we talking about we we're talking about the scenes that the we were talking about i was literally just on Talk, just, oh, just the the amount of time that they have waste with the uh, the Klingon party. Like it's just surprising oh, yes, that yes, it's yes. a story that doesn't have a lot of meat on that bone because they intercut it with so many character beat stories. Some of fifty percent of which works, fifty percent don't. Yeah, I I think this show in general has a problem with infiltration stories because they always spend. I mean, it's probably a budgetary thing, but they always spend their time on like not not even. They don't even spend it on planning the assault, and they don't spend it on the assault itself. They spend it on, like, driving to the assault. <laughs> Getting to it, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I understand where it's like, no, it'll be a great opportunity for these characters to interact and stuff. And it's like, okay, but you've done it, like, four times, and you've never really pulled it off. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, I, I mean, I, w- I would be more interested in the nuts and bolts of of how they infiltrate the thing in the, in the first place. I mean, it doesn't have to be... Uh, the guns of Navarone here, but it, there should be some sort of. Uh, I, I think it would be nice to see some sort of uh, a little bit more scope. But again, I understand budget. I mean, it, they had they only had enough money. They they blew all their money on Klingon makeup, so they had yes. one dark room and one fog machine and a red light that they had yep. to use for the rest of the episode. So I get it. It looks terrible. It's such an ugly, muddy mess of an episode I, to look at. I'm really happy that you thought it looked terrible too, because I thought it looked awful, and I couldn't tell if it legitimately looked awful or if it was because the sun was coming into my room, and sometimes when it hits the TV, it kind of washes everything out. <laughs> yeah. So it's good to know that it just legit was just terrible looking. No, I'm, I'm sure if they were to remaster it, it would look very like atmospheric or something. But yeah. it's just it's it's too much red, too much fog, and too much brown mixing together, and it just gives you this horrible, uh, shitty stew that you're looking at. Um, I also, uh, as far as little character things go, this isn't really a big thing, but I, I thought that scene where the one Klingon was talking about what he did to the people on the starship or that's whatever. That's the best the, moment. The, that's the best moment yeah. in the entire Klingon thing, yeah. That was good. I mean, uh, I mean, it was very violent. Um, yes. But it was, you know, I mean, I th- it, you can get away with explaining that stuff, obviously, on TV more than you can actually showing it, or at least in the old days. Yeah. Um, and... and uh, I liked Cisco's in in Klingon character response to it, even though I don't know. If I was him, I probably would have killed the guy. But uh, <laughs> you know, why not? You're, you're a Klingon, you know. May yeah. as well. When They're in not going to do anything, you know. Yeah, when in Rome, kill somebody. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree um, with that. I, I thought that the <clears throat> in general, the Klingon stuff should have had more of that. I really like that that scene with the Klingon because it actually does show you that there has been a war and there is violence going on, even though we don't see a tremendous amount of it. Although the war has only really started since the end of last season. So it's kind of been a, a little bit of a um, off-screen thing. I, w- I was hoping for more of that. They they tended just to stick to the, the Klingons are getting drunk and sort of beating the shit out of each other stuff. And it's fine for a little bit. But I, I think the big problem was because they decided that there was a because they decided that the Martok and Garon switch was going to happen and that they had to keep Martok's identity a secret, I think a whole. I think that if you wanted to make this actually have substance, you needed to have scenes of Martok talking to Gowron about the war. You yeah. know what I mean? If and even if maybe if they did it subtly enough, where it just seems like Martok is being a little bit more aggressive in pushing what he wants to do in the war than Gowron is, at least that would give you scenes that have like a emotional like a a narrative heft 
to them. Like you're mm-hmm. kind of seeing what's going on behind the scenes of the Klingon Empire instead of just a party scene where we're kind of goofing around until Gowron arrives. But yeah. I understand that. I think they were trying to just prevent you from figuring out that Martok was the changeling, although I don't know if it hurts anything to know that. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think if I if I could add something to that, it would probably be some sort because they don't even really interact in the in the in the episode. No, they don't uh, talk to Martok each other. And, yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah, I think that would be nice. The other two little bits that I liked were uh, at the beginning when they're when they're describing the plan. Worf is not like totally cool with it until they finish explaining it, and he's like, "Oh, wait a minute! They will sing many songs about our victories if we pull this off." <laughs> um. And I also liked, once again, pointing out that for some reason in Star Trek, there's no such thing as cameras or photographs. Yeah. Because when they're on the uh, Klingon ship and uh, Dukat is like giggling about how silly they look as Klingons, he says he would like to make a holographic record of yes. this. Yep. Um, bring me uh, yeah. bring me my holographic record machine. My, my <laughs> Polaroid holographic record machine. <laughs> yeah, they don't. There's, there's nothing simple. Um Maybe the I biggest... would like to keep you in a hologram in my desk, much like one would keep a deceased crew member. <laughs> it's it's uh, maybe for all the, the tech things that Star Trek got right, I don't think um, this goes across all kind of sci-fi too. I don't think that sci-fi, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's a series that really predicts that what I think is going to happen anyway, like our phones are just going to get more and more powerful and eventually our phones are going to do everything for us. Like... Mm-hmm. Our, our phones are basically going to serve as our keys to get into our car or our house. It's going to serve as yep. like a game machine. Like if you want to play video games or just you'd you'd have your phone and play with a controller that connects to it through Bluetooth or something. Like they never really, I don't think there's any sci-fi show that really got to that point of we're all carrying around these sort of like um, Swiss Army knife, knife technology computers in our pockets. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, uh, that seems to be I the way say- that it's going. I would say the closest thing to that, not exactly what you're talking about, is Doctor Who's sonic screwdriver is basically like a, I mean, it's it's a plot crutch is what it is, but it's ba- that's basically what it is. He can, uh, or she, rather, uh, can uh, examine stuff, open locks, you know, send It does whatever messages. the plot needs. It does, yeah, it does whatever tool. the yeah. plot needs. Yeah, once, once we get phones that do that, the real life, the narrative of real life is going to get a lot more uh, just unbelievable. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. It's funny because it, before we started, I, I I was you know looking at the apps on my computer, and I have a home app which I've never opened, and I click that, and it's like, do you want to sync up your alarm system and your lights and your the locks on your doors yep. and your thermostat yep. to your computer? And I was like, well, I mean, why not? not? Really? I mean, I can't. <laughs> I I don't have that capability in any of the stuff that I have. But honestly, no, not really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's clunky at this point, but I think that's got to be the way that it's going to go. Like, your phone is just going to do everything for you. It's going to get much better at doing it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, they're already advertising that stuff. Like, a lot of the the podcast ads I hear are for home security systems that go right through your phone or, you know, plenty of places do the home, all the thermostats and lights and everything are connected to the phone. And, yeah, it's it's coming. Yeah, yeah. Mine's just, I I think my phone is just... um, my phone's more advanced than I really care to dig into what it can do. So you, you kind of have to fix the problem of like what a layman would do with their phone, even though yeah. if you wanted to do everything, you need to make it simple enough to actually do it without having to click into menus and everything like that. But we'll see. We'll see if it gets there. I do. I do wonder. Um, it seems like every time a new phone, at least with Apple, it seems like every time a new phone comes out now, the uh, 
the leaps and bounds that they've taken are a lot less impressive than they used to be. Yep. Yep. Uh, it seems like every time it's like, here comes the new iPhone that's a little bit bigger. Uh, better the screens, camera. This camera's better. It's like $500 more, and you've got like six more emojis you can use now. You know, that kind yes, of thing yeah. where it doesn't it's, feel well, it's like always, the old days. It's always one app that you go, I would never see myself using that as opposed to, you know, like oh, it's, it's, it, it's yeah. not like it's any app that you came in. You're like, wow, I can't wait to use GPS in my phone and tell me where I'm going. It's like this uh, thing will. Pull up your favorite recipes by using Siri. It's like, well, I don't, I don't really care about that. That's I think, I think the Siri technology on the phone, that's the, if updating that stuff is going to be the next big jump because yeah, I, the next I breakthrough. Because in theory, it seems great, but when in, in practical use, it's not very, it's not really that helpful. But like, it's if when if they get it to a point where you can just like hit the button and ask for something and it gives you what you want, then that's going to be huge. Yes, that's the um. Yeah, I I agree. Like if they need to make the, they need to make Siri act as if it's a real person that you don't have to sort of feel like you're artificially telling your phone what to do. Like yeah. you need to talk to Siri as if it's like someone sitting in the passenger seat of your car saying, "Hey, can you change the station to this or whatever?" and have it yeah. do it as opposed to hold the button down, kind of look at the phone as it's going, wait for the Siri thing to boot up, wait for her to finish talking, then talk to it and then wait for the options to come up about what she thinks she wants to do for you. Yeah, uh, it's that would be the next one. Right now, it's like you hit the thing and go, Siri, what episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine did Gowron, uh, did they try to expose Gowron as a changeling? And it goes, beep, boop, boop, boop. Star Trek Deep Space Nine was a television show yeah, that was yeah. on for seven seasons in the 90s. Okay. Is there anything else I can help you with? It's like, well, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's now listing showtimes for Star yeah, exactly. Wars movies in your local area. It's like, God damn it, not what I wanted. Um, I think we're done talking about this one. We're going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back, give our final thoughts, read some patron thoughts about Apocalypse Rising. I will call a meeting of the High Council. Advise a temporary ceasefire. Where Gauron leads, the Council will follow. Perhaps. I'll see to it that you're safely delivered back to that space station of yours. I'd appreciate that. You've done a great service to the Empire. For that, I thank you. As for you, you should have killed me when you had the chance. I promise you won't get another. All right, everybody. So, patron thoughts. If you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We'll read them on the podcast. This is Apocalypse Rising. Termy says, I think this is a fun change of pace episode, even though the premise is a little silly. I remember reading somewhere that Cole Meany complained endlessly about how horrible the makeup process was. It made me think much of the time Michael Dorn has been in the makeup chair between the shows and the movies. My absolute favorite part of the episode is all the Klingons firing at the changeling at the end. It was such a Klingon reaction. I bet everyone in the room would brag for years about how they changed, uh, how they killed a changeling, and each telling would get grander as time went by. Stephen Cobb says... Apocalypse Rising, O'Brien commented about trying to be funny with the teeth. None of them seemed to have an issue with them, unlike the Discovery Klingons. So, loved Dukat's appearances. Felt like the Klingons would be unimpressed with Gowron for getting his ass handed to him by Worf. Kind of a loss of faces that is rather significant in Klingon culture. And Gowron is really so forgiving about an attempt on his life. This episode was too wrapped up with virtually no long-term consequences. 
Neil Brennan, Apocalypse Rising. Best acting, Robert O'Reilly's eyeballs. Worst acting, Avery Brooks rubbing his face once he's lost the Klingon makeup. Best line reading, Avery Brooks telling him moping Odo, what's done is done. I love that growling baritone. Worst line reading, Cole Meany's, I would have thought that would make you happy in the Klingon jail cell. Seriously, a low point. Zam Nuclear Wessel says Apocalypse Rising. Nice use of Dukat as a much more interesting version of the Klingon captain who ferries the feds to Romulus in unification. That is the magic of building up a secondary cast. I love Avery Brooks as a Klingon. Maybe bring him back as one on Discovery? Christian Pouch says, Apocalypse Rising, you haven't truly appreciated Captain Sisko until you've seen him the original Klingon. Gowron is a changeling works because that is how the Dominion might operate. The senior staff impersonating Klingons, not so much. Sisko is born to play the role, but O'Brien is, well, not great. Odo works because it's legit amusing, well-played, and well-acted. Speaking of acting, Dukat decorated in Klingon trophies is fantastic. Martok continues to be an amazing guest. I didn't realize Dukat was wearing Klingon trophies. I guess that makes sense. I was wondering what he was wearing, but that, that, that works for me. Oh, I uh, didn't register that at all. Yeah. He's wearing like the big Klingon sash when he when he makes his entrance with Kira. Uh, Martok continues to be an amazing guest. Pity they killed him. The episode really hinges on the amusement of seeing the characters in a strange situation that is awkward, funny, and really tense. The reasoning for their plan isn't as strong. Four out of five. Uh, Holly McLaughlin says... This is one of my favorite DS9 episodes. It's pure fun from start to finish, especially watching Cisco channel his real self into his Klingon self and seeing how well it works. The twist of Odo having been deliberately deceived is a genuine surprise. It's a fantastic season opener. Will Yates says, I've always liked this episode in the season opener. My favorite part is the ending where the mission is accomplished, but the war goes on. I was always interested in the way the Klingon culture forces conflict on itself. I also appreciate that they kept Odo's pity party to one episode before he realized he still has worth. Having said that, the first 20 minutes are great. Sisko is choking the anger out through his teeth a bit on the bird of prey. And I love Gold Ducat's face when he learns that O'Brien is the father. It's like he was saying, why not me, damn it. <laughs> and I don't mean to offend, but I feel like O'Brien kind of looks like a Klingon with dropsy. Good start all around. Kyle Barrett says, uh, Apocalypse Rising, it's a good episode, but it'd be nice if all the characters got something out of being a Klingon. Sure, Odo has to deal with being someone else now that he's lost his natural ability to do so, and Sisko can take out some of his anger at the Klingons by beating them up. But what are O'Brien and Worf getting from this experience? Surely being among Klingons in such an honored place would mean a lot for Worf, who is struggling with his identity. At times, it seems like an excuse to play dress-up. The episode is a lot of fun, but I wish it delved deeper. Maybe it could have been good as a two-parter. And personally, I prefer the war with the Klingons to be born out of paranoia of the changelings rather than actual manipulation by them. Also, I know you guys keep moaning at Discovery for not discussing the state of the war, but I think Discovery does it better than DS9 in this episode. We're a couple of months into the conflict at this point, and we have no idea of the lives or territory lost. What do you think about I that, will... Clay? That's an interesting point. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, I don't know if I'd say Discovery does it better, because... At this point, I can't really remember how they did it. But, uh, yeah, I don't really have any understanding of what's going on with this war. Um, to the point where I wasn't even total. I mean, this is just, man, I don't know, maybe this is me not paying attention. But, you know, I, I, when they were explaining things at the end, I was having trouble even remembering, like, who was fighting who and why. Yes. Uh, I, like, I couldn't I it's the Klingons are fighting the Federation or the Klingon, the Klingons are fighting the Cardassians. My, this is my understanding without having looked it up. Season four was all about the Klingons invaded Cardassia and the Federation yeah. were kind of in the background for it. So mm -hmm. the Klingons were antagonistic towards the Federation because the Federation tried to help Cardassia, but they weren't actively fighting each other at that point. Yeah. Once the okay. end of season four happened and Gowron said that we're going to annex these uh, planets and you better stand out of our way. That's when the actual conflict with the Klingons started. So all the fighting that we've 
all the like the active conflict that we've heard between the Klingons and the Federation has happened between seasons to this point. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then all right. That just made me like this episode even less, honestly, cuz all of those cutesy scenes that they have for no reason could have been replaced with talking about that in some capacity. <laughs> sure, yes. So that that's my understanding of it. I might be wrong, but I think that makes sense to me because Gowron at the end of the Broken Link episode was the one talking about like we're escalating this conflict now. Yeah. Um, okay. So I I think I would agree. I mean, I, I think that if anything, I would argue in favor of DS9 because all of this happened off camera where Discovery, it was entirely in the story that they were telling. Yeah, you know? that's fair. Um, I would say I would agree that neither does it particularly well here. But I think that Discovery's big flaw was actually happening during this conflict and you never see anything. This feels like it's the very end of it. And yeah, I, I would it. agree with that, too. I, w- I would say that. The reason why it didn't feel right on Discovery, now that we're talking about it, I'm kind of remembering, is because the the Federation and the Klingons are very much at war. That is very much the plot of the show. And they never really talk about what that means. Um, whereas here, like you're saying, they weren't exactly at war. And also, you're on Deep Space Nine, so you're not exactly on the front lines of that war. Uh, so I give them a little bit of a pass here, but I, yeah, I, I wish they had, you know, defined that stuff a little bit better, but, um, that's not the main thrust of the show so much as it was in discovery. Yes, I'd agree with that. And, uh, this is not an excuse because I don't think the writing is strong, but it, it, it's obvious that the production team was not super interested in the Klingon war aspect. Yeah. So while wrapping up poorly with something that they did, it's not the focus of the narrative the entire season. Less comment. Matthew Ross says, Apocalypse Rising, starting off with a power struggle in the station. Who does Worf think he is? Seeing it again, I wondered if Starfleet would ignore the local authorities for its own ends. But that's just the Worf, I suppose. Why must the head of arguably the most important station be sent covertly? Yes, standard Star Trek trope. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gotten four lights. Ducat sneaking them in was a nice touch, as was his comm skills. Someone should tell Damar he's wearing a belt as a sash, though. Really a convoluted plan. All you need is Scooby-Doo. Uh, Scooby. I just inserted do because my brain went there. I think that's what he's talking about. <laughs> O'Brien essentially says, zoinks. And man, them changelings are tough. But how many damn shots did that take? Anyway, I feel a well-done story and you can carry out from learning the swagger of Klingons to the reveal of Martok was a changeling. But makes you wonder about Odo's punishment. Is he fully human? If so, he should have been killed, right? Da-da-da. Also, you get to see Jake in his 1920s phase of clothes. Um, <laughs> when would Odo have been killed? When the changeling is choking him? I guess, but the, uh, I guess. the the other changeling can't kill Odo because their whole thing is that they don't kill each other. Odo's supposed to be right. special there. So th- that makes sense to me that that changeling didn't kill him. Um, and then the Klingons just blew apart that changeling. Yeah, because, I mean, he's not a changeling in, the, in that he can't change anymore, but he's still one of those people. That's my understanding. Right? They still consider I mean, him a changeling. Yeah. They're just punishing him but with this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's it. So thank you guys. That was a lot of comments. I know everyone's excited to start a new season here, but thank you very much for supporting the show. Thank you for leaving your comments. Clay, what are you going to give this one on our scale of one to five? Um, I'm, I was, I was going to give it, yeah, I mean, I don't really, I'm not really going to change. I was just say a three. I mean, maybe, yeah, I would say the end is interesting enough that it's like it, 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 it saves it. So I would just give it a, a solid, a middling three. Yeah. I'd say a low three for me personally. Yeah. It's um probably definitely the weakest of the season openers so far, uh, which is sort of interesting. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really doesn't really do anything for me. I think it's fine. I think it is. 
you know, something that kind of had to happen, but it feels very clumsy the entire way through. It doesn't feel like it was really the show getting off to a, a great start with its strongest foot forward at this point. Yeah. It just feels a little bit off. You know, I'm I'm always fascinated by that, about how they approach these things in the, in this era of TV, because you would think that season finales and season premieres, you'd want your absolute best foot forward, right? You think but so? But it seems fairly common that both of those things, not just for this show, but for many shows, don't always live up or don't always hit that bar. Because, like, I know, um, again, uh, I know Buffy, had her, the season premieres for Buffy are notoriously usually the worst episode of the season. Or not the worst, but just, like, they don't, they're, they're not that great. They're usually yep. kind of kind of a letdown, which I always found so fascinating because it's like you're, you're starting everything up. You're getting your next story going. Like, why? I, it's it's. Fa- I don't know why those would end up being less than great. But I mean, do know. they just suffer from they have to set the groundwork for everything, so therefore I mean, it's that, just not a very exciting episode. Yeah, I mean, I guess that must be what it is. Uh, I always feel I mean, there's a little bit of a um, like if you wanted to make an analogy to sports, it would kind of be like you're, you're not sh- you're not going to shoot great just right off the bench. You know, you got to right. run around yeah. for a couple minutes before you really yeah. figure out like what's going on. I think maybe that's kind of what goes on here, although that hasn't happened in previous seasons. But I could I could imagine that happening in a network TV show where maybe you start off and you're a little bit rusty, and then a couple episodes in, your writing improves and everyone knows what they're doing and all the production is flowing and everything. Yeah, I would be curious if anybody's ever like tracked that through the '90s as to who. What what shows had the best? I'm sure somebody has because everybody. IMDb must all, do that. You yeah, could there's just always one person that that, uh, that does all this, you know, ridiculous stat keeping for literally everything. But how like, dare you? How dare you subtweet me with that comment? <laughs> <laughs> Prove me wrong, Wes. Prove me wrong. Uh, well, that that horrible comment is going on my spreadsheet of Clay's horrible comments. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like, I wonder if the X, I can't remember if the X files had the same problem, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. I, I wonder if it's a, if it's a symptom of, uh, TV becoming newly serialized where, you know, maybe, maybe they seem less than because they do have to set up so much as opposed to just being like a solid episode, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, they, cause yeah, the new seasons are all kind of, they have to be mini pilots in a way. Um, yeah. which is kind of what this one is. Every DS9 opener has kind of been a mini pilot in the same way. So it's odd. Uh, I don't know. We're both going to give it a three. I think you. I don't know who which one of us prefers this one more than the other. I think we're both kind of like a low three opinion, but uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think we're probably about the same. Yeah. Uh, that's it, guys. Thank you very much for supporting the show. All the social media links: Facebook, Twitter. Those are generic ones. You can go to Discord, which is a little chat room thing. You can talk to us there. It's a good place. Share links. Share information. Get the behind-the-scenes stuff. If you're a uh, patron, you can go back there. The Captain Tier patrons have a little special room where you can talk about what we're going to be doing going forward. And then you can go to patreon.com slash thepenskefile if you want to support the show a couple of dollars a month. You get extra stuff. It's the best way to support the show. It's the only way to support the show, really, in any kind of way that has an impact on it continuing. And then rate the show on iTunes if you're so inclined. We're at 50 reviews now, so I feel less uh, like I need to beat that drum. But if you want to throw up a rating, it's much appreciated. Clay, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, no. I get books on the shelf. Poser's out. Night Moves is out. I think Night Moves 2 comes out this month, and I think Poser 4 should be coming out pretty soon. Uh, and Sean and I just recorded our Batman, the animated series podcast, uh, Christmas special. We did Mask of the Phantasm and did some Q&A. Uh, so that should hopefully be up in the next uh, couple weeks. Cool. 
Sounds good. Guys, check that out. Check out Badass. Check out Clay's books. And I think that's it. We're done with this episode. So we're now into season five. We've got um, Clay over here for this. We've got a few guests scheduled. We have a couple patron things from uh, before when the patrons wrapped up being guests. We have a couple of those. And then that's pretty much it. But otherwise, it's uh, business as usual going forward here. Um, Is there anything else that I had to say? I don't think so. No, I don't think so at all. I don't think so at all. I'm not going to edit out that silence. Okay. So, Clay, thanks for coming on. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. I look forward to musing over uh, the bubbles in my water while we're talking about this in the future. It's a very soothing, very soothing ASMR type uh, scene right there. It's a wonderfully, wonderfully lit. You know, the the one thing I can't uh, help but notice in that scene is that uh, because you're kind of looking up Odo's nose, you can see where the mask ends in his nostrils. There's yeah. like a, there's like a little indent thing there. Uh, that's the other takeaway that I get from that scene. It's also he's also doing the thing that I feel like everybody who just discovered alcohol does, where they get like really romantic about it mm-hmm. for like for like two months before they just you know it's like ah uh, yeah no I just I'm just doing that to make it to make drinking seem like it's it's more a worthwhile than it actually is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. I think I've talked about this, like the my the peak alcohol uh, into like why I understand why some writers really like alcohol is because it is like I called it the subway effect here. But I do feel like the the peak, I wouldn't say it's like depression, but the peak, the peak, like you feel like you're in your in, in contact with your like the sorrow of the universe was when I would go out after work in Boston and we'd go to like happy hour at a bar, not happy hour. Cause we live in a Puritan state and you can't actually do that. <laughs> but you'd go out and get drinks after uh, work. So you drink for a couple hours and then go home and it wouldn't be too late and you weren't too drunk, but you, you had a couple beers in you and you're just sitting on a semi empty subway, like watching other people yep. who are sitting there and you're kind of like this somberness overtakes you like you you feel sort of like very melancholy about everything and you, you, i felt very writerly at that point even though i wasn't writing anything but that's uh that's alcohol for you i think that's why your some, head just uh, starts like going it. red red wine <laughs> go to my head I'm spotify play my most played tunes from 2018 and that's one of them Looney uh, Tunes was on the air from 1952 to 1963. Is this? <laughs> is there anything else I can help you with? That's actually not true. Siri, I don't remember what, when they were on. Yes, Siri, Siri, when was Looney Tunes on TV? <laughs> <laughs> Siri, it's time to wrap up this show. Please hit stop. All right, guys, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back with The Ship, which is the next episode in Season 5. See you then.